When we last saw Paul and Barnabas, they were in Antioch. And they had just returned from this big old trip all around the Mediterranean Sea and Cyprus and up into modern day Turkey and up into the mountains and then along the coastline. And they came back and they had the council in Jerusalem with Peter and James, the the guy in charge. Peter wasn't the guy in charge of the church in Jerusalem, which is kind of a fun thing to think about in church politics terms. That James was in charge of the church in Jerusalem. But Peter was kind of in charge of the church, wherever it is. They looked to him. But also not really, because remember Paul said so-called leaders. Because he was trying to establish Jesus. Jesus is the leader of the church. So they come back to Antioch and they preach. Acts 15.35, Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And it could have ended right there. That could have been the whole end of the, the book of Acts. And it was awesome. And they did great things. And the church grew. We don't know how long. After some days, so they preached for a while. Acts 15.36, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit everybody in every city that we visited to encourage them. Let's go back to all those places. He's probably already written the book of Galatians, hence us studying the book of Galatians. So he probably sent that letter on. He may have written other letters. We don't know for sure. And so Barnabas says, that's great. I'll go get John Mark. And Paul is like, wait, 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 wait. The guy that deserted us on our last trip? No. We're not bringing him along again because he left us last time. And it says a dispute started between Paul and Barnabas. Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to do the work. Remember, we don't know why Mark, John Mark left. He may have left because he got malaria and he had to go back and get taken care of. He may have gone back because Paul got malaria. There's one theory that historians have that he may have been so discouraged by Paul. Because remember, Paul got really sick and was deathly ill and the Galatians took care of him. Paul said, you would have given up your whole lives to, to save me and to care for me when I first met you. So it could have been that Mark was you know, just so discouraged that here's Paul and he's like on his deathbed and I don't even want to be here for this terrible thing. We don't know. Either way, it ended with Barnabas. Remember, it was Paul's idea to go back to all the places. Barnabas wanted to go with Mark. And so they, they weren't going to reconcile it. They weren't going to figure it out. So Barnabas leaves with Mark and they go off on the original route. Remember, Barnabas was from Cyprus. So it makes sense for him to go that same route and to go back through Cyprus again since he was kind of hometown stuff. So he leaves with Mark and we will never hear of Barnabas again. There will be no more mention of Barnabas in the scriptures. So Paul takes Silas and he's like, okay, hometown stuff, we can do this. Do you remember... 
I was trying to point out on a map that I don't have. My imaginary map in my head that I look through and I see all you guys. (laughs) So Paul, Tarsus was Paul's hometown. And it was just north of all of this, of Antioch and all that stuff. We're just kind of around the bend. So Paul took Silas with him and he went back to his hometown first. And then on his journey, he heads back to all the churches he visited. But he's going more through modern day Turkey. And if you have a good study Bible, you'll have maps in the back. And it'll say Paul's first missionary journey. Now today, Acts 16, we're talking about Paul's secondary missionary journey. So it's going to be in a different color. And it's going to start by going north. So Paul and Silas start heading north. And they go. And it says... They went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So whatever happened to Mark? Right? You kind of wonder. I mean, if he's the guy that wrote the gospel of Mark, if he's a nephew of Peter, he's awesome. He's faithful. He's been there. But he ditched him on that first journey. Later on, in a certain letter... Paul will write about, he's writing from prison. This is, this is decades later. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And he went to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. So Paul is writing to this guy. And he's saying, so-and-so left me, so-and-so left me, so-and-so left me. Luke alone is with me. Luke, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, you guys. He's still there. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful for me in ministry. So here, something happened. And we don't have any record of it anywhere. We don't know what it was. But somewhere over the next decade or so, Mark and Paul interacted Or Mark showed himself faithful to somebody else and the word made it to Paul. And Paul is like, hey, Mark is useful. And they've, through some other stuff, they figured out this is the same Mark. This is John Mark. So Mark isn't abandoned. Just because he goes off with Barnabas and they have the split and all that business, Mark is not all washed up. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and the books and all the parchments. <laughs> the reason why I love this part is uh, if you were making up some religious text, you would leave out stupid stuff like this, right? If you really wanted to show, like, the Apostle Paul, he's like this... And he's like otherworldly, magic and mysterious. He would never forget his coat at Troas. He would carry the books. He wouldn't tell somebody, hey, oh, don't, don't forget to bring the books and the parchments. I need all that. That's funny. So Mark isn't out yet, but Barnabas is. Peter is also. So we're not going to hear from Peter. We're not going to hear. It's, it's wild, you guys. Remember the book of Acts. The first half is reaching out to the Gentiles. This, or the first half is with the Jews. The second half is the Gentiles. We're a full on, full steam ahead in the Gentile world now. So Acts 16, 1, Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. 
And a disciple was there named Timothy, son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy is a believer. Timothy probably became a believer along with his mom when Paul came through here before. Do you guys remember like Lystra and Derby were where the people worship Zeus and they got so mad that Paul and Barnabas weren't Zeus and Hermes that they grabbed Paul and probably threw him off a cliff and stoned him and left him for dead. That's this city. <laughs> That's where Timothy, the Timothy is from. That's his hometown. <laughs> so Paul meets Timothy. His mom's Jewish. Timothy's mom is Jewish. Timothy's dad is Greek. Hmm. Okay. Why do you think they put that detail in there? Let's keep going. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. All right, we just spent seven weeks talking about why circumcision doesn't mean anything. The whole book of Galatians. We land right here and Paul meets Timothy and he's a believer. And man, I need you to come with me. Uh, We need to make a stop on the way and you're not going to like it. What in the world? So this is a controversy there. um, You could probably not fit all the books up here of people arguing about why this happened and why this was and da, 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 because Paul just wrote the book of Galatians and now they're doing this. There's one, there's one big, like if I would scoot the books around, there's a big pile over here of books that really sound really reasonable to me as to why it happened. So in Jewish culture at this time, there was um, uh, an idea about marriages. So the Jews are getting spread all over the Roman world. Uh, the, the diaspora has happened since the Babylonian captivity when they all came back for, with Ezra and Nehemiah and they had this revival. Do you remember they were taking the money that they were supposed to be given to the priests and they were spending it on themselves and these other countries were taxing them real bad and then the one rich guy moved in to the treasury in the temple where only Levites were supposed to put the offerings and he cleared all the offerings out and he lived there like he was the treasurer of the temple and was just like, yeah. And then they found all these Levites were marrying foreign wives and gosh, the Levites, they had to keep their line pure because you had to be a son of Aaron in order to do the temple sacrifices, if you bring in all these outside wives, now your genealogy is just all messed up. And the the path of, of progression from Moses to, you know, to the new high priest is all messed up. And so they developed this way of judging people, basically. And it was, if two people got married that weren't supposed to get married... Their children would have the social level of the least of the husband or wife. And so if you had a rich guy marry a poor girl, all their kids would be regarded as poor. If you had a Jewish lady marry a Gentile man, all their kids would be regarded as Gentiles. 
put out from the house of Israel. Put out from God's chosen people. You see where this is going? So years later, here is, her name was Eunice, Timothy's mom. She's Jewish. She marries, we don't know his name, Greek guy. And they get married. And so everybody would regard Timothy, no matter how faithful he was or what he believed, as a garbage eating Gentile. No matter how faithful his mom was, she married that Gentile Greek scum. And so now Timothy is also Gentile Greek scum. So when it comes time for Timothy to follow a rabbi, that is Paul, who is a teacher of the great things of God that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has now fulfilled... Remember, Paul has been preaching it's not necessary for Gentiles to get circumcised and become Jewish to, fulfill, to be a Christian. But now, to show the Jewish leaders around there that Paul is not throwing away Moses, because he says in Romans that it was necessary for the law to be given to show us our transgressions, right? So there's, a, there's something that he is doing here to make peace with the Jewish leaders in that Timothy, who was raised Jewish, can now do Jewish things and be brought in. Do you, do you see what's going on here? He's saying not only are the gates of heaven open to the Jewish people, they're open to all who would believe. They are so open that even this guy that you think is a garbage-eating Greek is, can be Jewish, can be entered in. doesn't say anywhere in here that they did it so that Timothy would be saved or that Timothy would be part of God's chosen people or as an act of righteousness. All right. So I went to this foreign country once, right? I lived among all these Muslim people. If I came into church today here and I had a Muslim toki on my head, um, what's it called? Hajj. So there's a special kind of hat that if you make the Muslim Hajj, you get to wear that hat. And you're only allowed to wear that hat if you make the Hajj which is like the holiest thing you can do in Islam, that's the only way you can wear that hat, okay? You can't even get in the country if you're a Christian. You can't go on the Hajj if you're a Christian. You have to be Muslim, etc., etc. So there I am. We're celebrating Ramadan, which is the local holiday. And I celebrate it by going out with my neighbor guys and we go eat at everybody's house. And every time they sit down to pray... They all pray all of their Muslim prayers. And I'm just sitting there going, Jesus, rock their world. Give them a vision. Give them salvation. And I'm just praying by myself that Jesus would save them. And about the second stop, oh, you know, they are so excited that the foreigner from America is going around with them on this day and eating, right? 
So the one guy goes back into his room and he comes out and he gives me a hat to wear so I could fit in with all the, the other old, wise, holy guys that are traveling around door to door through the neighborhood eating almonds and candy and stuff. What is that? The hat he brings me is a, a hoji, a hoji toki hat that you can only wear if you've made the hajj, that you can only wear if you're the, one of the holiest of all Islam. And I put it on and they all laugh. It's like hilarious. But nobody objected. And he said, you can keep it. That's yours to keep. And so I wore it. And they wore it and we would go into the house and the little old lady would come up and she would see me wearing the hat. She'd be so happy I was there. She would laugh that I had the hat on. And then we'd go in and eat. I didn't say, oh, I'm not wearing this hat. This is terrible. This, is, this represents all kinds of terrible things. I'm not even going to put this hat on me. I might do that here. Okay? Because if I came in here wearing a Muslim hat, I would offend all of you. I would offend, you know, I stop at the donut bank and I'm reading my Bible and I got a Muslim hat on. That's going to confuse all kinds of people. They're going to be like, I saw Dan Sullivan wearing a Muslim. Did he become a Muslim? What? But in that culture at that time, it was hilarious and appropriate and great. And I really think that's how this circumcision bit went down. Where Paul was like, look, all these guys are all hung up on this. This isn't about righteousness. This is about showing you can enter. You are not garbage eating Gentile. And so they did that and they move on. I love how fast Luke just mentions it. He doesn't dwell on it. He doesn't give a lot of detail. And they just move on to it and they keep going. So incidentally, later on that day, uh, when I was going around in Ramadan, these guys, they said, you've been hearing us pray all day. How do you pray in America? Because it's all about nations. It's not necessarily religions. And I looked at him and I said, well, we believe that nobody can stand before God because of our sin. And they all agreed with that. And, uh, and I said, so every prayer that we pray, we offer through Jesus because of his sacrifice for us. And that's the only way that God will ever listen to us is because of what Jesus has done. And they all agreed with that. And they said, go ahead, do it. And see, in their way, they're, they're repeating things and they're, they're saying, and even though they don't even speak Arabic, the things that they're repeating are saying in Arabic and there's a ritual to it. They didn't know that I'm just going to like do it, right? And they said, so go ahead and do it. I said, well, can I do it in English? And they were like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would save every one of these men. <laughs> and just sat there at the dinner table. None of them knew English. But they know, they know the Holy Spirit is not bound by, by language, right? And I just prayed for those guys. I prayed blessings on their families. I prayed blessings on their households and just the whole street and the whole deal. And they were kind of looking at me, waiting for, you know, this doesn't rhyme. This doesn't sound beautiful. And then, and then I said, amen. And I was like, that's it. And they were like, oh, all right. 
Of course, then I had to run home and tell Cindy everything I said to make sure it was still orthodox in the language that I didn't mess up on language and tell them like they need to worship the chair or they go to hell or something terrible like that. It was okay. We were good. All right. What can we learn from Timothy getting circumcised? We really can learn something. There's a place where we can get uncomfortable for the sake of the people around us so that they will hear the gospel. And whenever you think, I'm really uncomfortable in this, but I really want these people to hear the gospel. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can make myself this uncomfortable to, to show the love of Jesus to these people. I want you to remember what Timothy gave up. Because that was really uncomfortable. He was probably in his 30s. And he did that. It keeps with what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 9. Even though I am free to all, I have made myself a servant to all so that I would win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though even though I'm not under the law, so that I would win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside of the law. Even though I'm not outside of the law of God, but I'm under the law of Christ, so that I could win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I may win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I became all things to all men. I used to drive me nuts. I'd be sitting in a business meeting at one of my jobs and somebody would say, well, we can't be all things to all people. And my favorite thing was to be like, that's misquoted. The original quote is, I became all things to all people so that I would win some of them. (laughs) You can't use that as an excuse. I became all things to all people so that all by all means I might win some. This might mean that you will shake hands with people and you will be like, I have to go boil my hand in oil now. Because my hand smells like that man's sweat and cologne. And all I did was shake his hand. It might mean we have friends that have gotten bed bugs because of ministering and loving. By all means, I might save some, and they came home with bed bugs. BO and cologne on your hands and bed bugs, those are trivial, right? There are people giving up their lives to carry the gospel to people. By all means. So, next time. God calls you to something and it seems uncomfortable and you think this is really terrible. I don't want to do this. I don't like this. Remember Timothy. He was well spoken of. They went after they did that. So all that circumcision, it says more about the gospel coming to Greeks. It says more about Timothy's dad than it does anything. But they don't they don't give us a whole lot. They go on through the cities. They delivered them. To them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles. So they're still telling everybody what Peter said about what you have to do to enter the kingdom and what what's required of Gentiles. 
The churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in numbers daily. So they're traveling along all through Turkey. You look on your map later. It's awesome. All the places they went. They go and they... One night Paul has a vision. We have a whole lot of action. Alright, we're going to skip over some of this stuff really fast. Paul has a vision of a guy from Macedonia. And he says, come preach to us. So Paul wakes up and he's like, we got to go to Macedonia. And they go. And they're on their way. They go from Troas. They've got the whole description of where all they went. They get to Macedonia. Super Gentile territory. This is a place not Jewish at all. There's no synagogue. Remember, Paul's pattern was go find the synagogue, preach at the synagogue. About half of them will get mad at you. About half of them will believe you. Work with the half that believe until you get run out of town and then go to another town. Find a synagogue. Talk to the people. Half of them will believe you. Half of them will hate you. Move on from there. Go with with what, what you can know. So in, where are they going? In Thyatira. Thyatira, there's no synagogue, but they know that Jewish people are going to wash their hands and do all their ceremonial cleansings once a week, at least, before they do their Sabbath day prayers. So they go down to the river and they find all the Jewish people, just like they expected. And they preach to them, just like it's a synagogue, only a little bit different, right? Many people start to believe. There's a lady named um, Lydia who is a purple dealer. And if you're a purple dealer, that's like you're a Porsche dealer. You are, you're probably rich. You're selling rich things to rich people. You probably have some land or some real estate or, I mean, you, you're, you live in the nice part of town. That's Lydia. She has a whole household. It says, so there's people that are living there with her, working for her, part of her business, that kind of thing. Um, It's never mentioned if she's a widow, if she's a single, or like we we don't know any of that about her. We just know she's a woman, and that she sells purple, and that she has a whole household. And so she says, come to my house. You guys... You're, you're just traveling around. Silas, Timothy, Paul, whoever else might be with them. You guys need to stay at my house. If, if, if you guys trust me, stay at my house. And so they do. And we don't know how long they stayed there. We know it was a couple days. Because they went and they preached to everybody at the river multiple times. Now if these are edge flippant Jewish people, that means they preach to him every Sabbath. If they're really devoted and just trying to be there every day, then they preach to him every day. Does that make sense? So it was probably a couple weeks went by. As they're walking along, this girl comes out and she starts shouting to everybody in town. Those men are telling you about the salvation of God. They're from the Most High God. She followed Paul and us. So Luke is there too, right? Crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
She did it for many days. She has a demon in her. And her owner, she's a slave girl, and her owners use her and her demon to make money. She's like fortune teller. She's like a show. She puts on a show and like reads your fortune or whatever. Guesses your age within two years and your weight within five pounds. No, I don't know. Whatever. Carnival stuff. It's funny. Satan is the father of lies. Lying in his, is his na- native language. All he does is lie. Most of the time in scripture when the devil is quoted, he is saying something that's true with a, just a real slight little, yeah, but I mean, kind, kind of true, but a little not. That's how the devil talks. That's how the devil works. So he says, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. All of that's true. But if it's announced like that, in that way, it's going to be bad for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. Because the people of Thyatira think there's all different ways of salvation. There's all different most high gods. And what's the deal with these guys? So Paul, it sounds like he didn't do anything about it for a couple days. This poor lady is possessed by a demon. She's shouting this stuff and Paul doesn't do anything until finally he's annoyed with it. It's like, wow, like you, you read the Gospels and Jesus is just like casting demons out of people left and right as soon as they show up. I wonder if Paul even knew this was a demon at first. We, we don't know for sure. So he, he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But that means that she can't work anymore because they were making a whole lot of money. Right? Selling her out as a fortune teller. So they get mad. You're going to hurt my pocketbook. Now, you know, you've been here for weeks preaching all this stuff. We don't care. You're going to, you're going to hurt our money. That's why uh, they say if you're a preacher, don't ever preach against tobacco in Kentucky. That I have, seriously, I've been told that, right? So don't hurt people in their money. So they go to the magistrates, the guys that owned this lady. I mean, never mind. They were what they were doing was wrong, right? Just messed up. Have the slave girl make money off of her, that whole thing. They say these men advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans. They're Jews and they're disturbing our city. The magistrates, oh, the crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their clothes off, tore the clothes off of Paul and Silas and Timothy, stripped them and ordered them to be beaten with rods. This is not a whip. This is sticks, right? This is bruising and ugh. They are beat. They inflicted many blows upon them. They threw them in prison into the deepest inner room of the prison, locked up in the stocks. So, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, When you're in Roman prison, they lock a guard to you and you're handcuffed to a guard. This is so deep and so dark inside the prison, they don't want any guards to even live in there. So they put you in the stocks. So you're like chained to the wall. It might have been the wood, you know, the medieval style wood with three holes thing. Think about this for a minute. These guys are... They're not fully clothed, so there's shame in that. 
They have been beaten with rods, which if you have ever just, I mean, accidentally taken a rake to the noggin while you're raking leaves, hit your head on a doorpost, stood up in a low basement, I mean, whatever, you know, pick, pick your infliction. Imagine a crowd, a mob beating, beating, beating with sticks. And then taken to the inner, inner room of the prison, locked up in stocks, which are not going to be like comfortable. There's no, right? There's no easy way to sit around. And they are locked in there. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In that uncomfortable, terrible, hopeless spot, all they had to do, the only thing they could do, I mean, they haven't eaten, right? Probably haven't had a drink of water. They're probably thirsty as all get out. Just that would be enough. But they're, they're naked and they've been beaten with rods by this angry mob, shackled to the thing, and they are singing hymns. They were singing hymns like... It says the other prisoners were listening to them. And we already know that they're in the innermost room of the prison. So they're singing loud enough that the sound is going from the innermost part of the prison out to the other parts of the prison. These guys are singing hymns to God. Suddenly there's an earthquake... So the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Everybody. The whole place. This, you guys, we don't always see this. When you live out the Christian life fullest, when the joy of the Lord is your strength, do you know that everybody around you experiences more freedom? And more joy in Christ. Every Christian household, their neighbors benefit from them being Christians, whether those people are Christians or not. Every person at the grocery store, when you are walking around in joy and in peace and full of the Holy Spirit, every other person at that grocery store is blessed by you, whether they recognize that it's from Jesus or not. The blessing is it is contagious. Everybody in that prison was set free that night. The jailer woke up. The jailer probably lived there. His house was probably attached to the jail. And he sees what has happened. And he knows the penalty for letting loose a prisoner is death. And oh my gosh, every single door is open. I can, I can see these two guys in the front cell. And their chains are off of them. Everybody's loose on dead meat. And he gets out his sword to just kill himself. Because he can't endure the shame of the magistrates coming and yelling at him. And, oh, what did you do? How did you let all these people go? Paul cries out from the inner. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Everybody's here. (laughs) People that weren't with Paul were in jail. And they were like, what in the world just happened? Right? Paul just saved that guy's life. Because he was going to kill himself. He just saved his life. And he said, we're all here. We're not leaving. We're not getting away. And that jailer realizes this man is powerful. Because 
Whatever he was doing, he was singing. Who in the world sings when they're beaten naked in stocks in the inner? Like he's not, he's more powerful. And all the doors just opened and all the chains came off. Who is this guy and what is his power? And he says, what must I do to be saved? What, like what, you just tell me what to do and I will do it. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Your whole household can be saved. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once. So it's not good for a short hour or less sermon. (laughs) But a great Bible study is to read it slow and to think about what just happened here. This jailer has washed off their wounds. He's got water. He is washing them and cleansing them. And he says, as they're talking and explaining things, they talk about baptism somewhere in there. And he is like, I want to be baptized. I want to be a part of this. I want to be grouped with you guys. Even though I'm a jailer and I was part of you all getting beaten and locked. Even though I locked you in the stocks eight hours ago, I want to be with you. And so he is, I mean, can you imagine the scene? Paul is soaking wet from getting his wounds dried off. He baptizes the other guy. Now you're baptized and you're, you're soaking wet with us. You're soaking like a pickle in the Holy Spirit, just like we're soaking like a pickle in the Holy Spirit. Remember all that? They brought him up, gave him how, brought him into his house, put food in front of them and fed them. And he rejoiced along with his whole household that they believed in God. But when it was daytime, oh, we got to get you guys back to jail because magistrates are going to come and there's going to be all kinds of wickedness. Ah! So seriously, I, I presume they rushed these guys back into jail, back into the inner prison, put them back in the stocks. He was like, sorry, dude, I got to do this. Or the magistrate's going to kill me. And Paul, because of what's going to happen next, I can see Paul saying, it's OK, dude, you do what you need to do. It's all right. Here, go ahead. Lock me up. The magistrates say, they send a note. They send an email. Let those men go. The jailer reports to Paul, words to Paul. The magistrates have sent to let you go. So come on out. You can go in peace. Paul says, they have beaten us publicly. We are uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Okay, where did the power go, right? The power was in the hands of the guys that owned the slave girl. The power was in the hands of the angry mob beating with sticks. The power was in the hands of the magistrates that stripped those guys' clothes off and threw them in prison. And now Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, you send them here. Let them put me out themselves. Because... Paul knows something that they don't. He's got, he's got an ace in the hole that he's about ready to play. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. Did you hear what Paul said? They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and thrown us into prison. Guess what the punishment for unjustly jailing and beating a Roman citizen is? Death. And so these magistrates 
are as dead as that jailer would have been. When the magistrates heard it, they are afraid and they come and they apologize to them. Can you imagine what a moment that was where they're they're undoing their shackles, which they haven't been in all night because they've been eating over at Jailer Bob's house and the Holy Spirit's been coming down saving his whole household. They take him out and they're like, we are so sorry. You do not have to tell anybody this. You don't have to tell the Roman governor that we did this because if he finds out, we're all dead, all new magistrates. They came and apologized to them. They took them out and they asked them to leave the city. Can you guys just go? Can you guys just get out of town? What do you think it was like for Paul and Timothy and Silas to walk out of that jail at that moment? What feeling was that? Do you know how untouchable they are? Like, where is the power now? If those dudes that own that slave girl, they're like, hey, you need to arrest them. The magistrate's going to be like, we are not going anywhere near those guys. If they say to the jailer, why would you let them out of jail? The jailer's going to be like, dude, you do not even know what you are dealing with. Just go eat some papayas. Go get, go away. So they go visit Lydia. Lydia, what was that scene like? Because the last time Lydia saw them, they were getting stripped naked, beaten with rods. Lydia probably ran. All the people, all the believers ran. They thought all hope is lost. This is terrible. And now Paul and Silas and Timothy have all new clothes. They got showers. They probably didn't wash, take showers every day, but now they've been washed. They've probably got busted lips. They might have missing teeth. They might have black eyes because they got beat up. So don't forget that part. But they are walking boldly. They visit Lydia. They saw all the brothers. They encouraged all of them. And then they departed. There's one one big thing to take away from Acts 16. And I I want the Holy Spirit to work in you and take things away. The The takeaway for me was we don't have to fear discomfort in anything and we don't have to fear any kind of evil in anything we don't have to retaliate we don't have to fear discomfort Timothy got circumcised in his 30s so that it would not cause somebody else to have trouble with the gospel and then from a prison in stocks beaten and naked these guys were singing hymns and they weren't shouting you stupid jailer oh magistrate they weren't cutting on the mat i mean it would have been a lot of fun to stay up late and make magistrate jokes and that might have made them feel really good but they would have died in the morning or no they would have been set free and nobody would have known about it right instead they're singing hymns to god they're worshiping god and uh and the church grew and then the church that's left behind in thyatira Do you think they were afraid of getting found out? Do you think they were afraid to worship Jesus? No way. Because the dude that taught them everything they knew just got walked out of prison in the middle of the night and fed by the jailer who's going to be a rich guy anyway. Got all new clothes, the whole bit. So lots of encouragement in here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the way you advance the gospel. 
that you didn't just do it by some magical thing that everybody just believed inside, but you put your Holy Spirit in each one of us, in people that make mistakes and disagree and have arguments, in people that don't always do it all right. You put your Holy Spirit into them and into us and advance your gospel. And we praise you and we exalt you for that, Lord. I pray that you would do that this week. That you would help us to not let the gospel stop because of our discomfort or our fear. But that you would advance your kingdom and build your church and save many, many people. We love you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.